Cradio.org.au I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. You who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ. Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy, an exploration of the charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Welcome back to Cradio. My name's Sister Bernadette Pike and we're on the third talk of a series on the spirit of John Paul II. The first two talks were introducing us to the idea that John Paul II had a new charism, that there was a special gift from the Holy Spirit, or a special message, if you like, that the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate to the church. We took a, a step back in history and we had a look at the development within the consciousness of man of the idea that he is the source of truth and the creator of his own reality and the impact that this has had on the the reduction of man, on the reduction of the way we see other people and the way we see ourselves, which has, of course, affected the way we relate to one another. And then we briefly looked at the gift of the Second Vatican Council where the Lord was clearly speaking through the church and trying to remind us of the importance of going back to not necessarily clarifying a particular truth, but looking at the way that we communicate that truth with the world, a new order of human relations, a new way of being, a new way of relating to God, to others and to ourselves. And just before I begin this third talk, I just want to provide what might be a concrete example of, so if the, if the Lord's calling us to this new way of being with people, what does that look like in concrete? What, what is it that the Lord wanted the church to change about her way of presenting the gospel and, and relating to the world? Father Richard Hogan uses a really great example, which I'm, I'm definitely not going to be able to do justice to, so hopefully you'll have an opportunity to listen to his talk, but... He uses the example of a father with his son and the son comes to the father and says, that's it, dad. I don't want to go to mass today. I'm sick of going to mass and I'm not going. Now, according to the traditional way of doing things, well, the father could just say, no, you're actually going. You do what I say and you go. He just enforces the rule. Or he could even go a step further and say, well, actually, it's important to go to mass because there's, you know, there's value in going to mass because... This is where it comes from in the teachings of the church. This is why the church teaches it, and this is why it's, you know, why you need to do it. John Paul II's way of responding to the son would be arguably different. He says that he would say to this child, Well, you're really frustrated about having to go to Mass, and you can't understand why it's important for you to go. It's, it feels like it's useless and it's boring, and you don't want to go, and you can't see the point. And when you go, you don't feel like you get anything out of it. And 
And, you know, there, there are all these great blessings of being able to go to church. I mean, you receive all these graces and there's all these things. But at the moment, you just can't even see all of that because it's just, there's just so much going on for you at the moment. And you have the freedom to be able to choose to do what you want to do. You can make decisions and I can't make those decisions for you. Only you can do those only you can decide whether you choose going to Mass and receiving all these graces, which will help you to become a saint and to fulfill your destiny. And, you know, you can do it. This is really, really exciting. I know you feel really bored, but you can overcome those emotions. You can transcend them and integrate them within yourself to what's good. And it could be really great. And so he, he, I'm not sure if you're getting kind of a sense of this. Um, Father Richard Hogan, I think, did a much better job than I did. But he gets onto the level of that person. He acknowledges the, the, interior subjectivity all that's going on for that person and he understands it he takes it on as his own and he inspires that person to realize well actually despite all of that that's going on you have this great capacity and this great calling to realize yourself to fulfill your dignity to 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 live that to the full and he did that with when you speak see him speaking to young people and crowds of young people he didn't just say you know, abortion's wrong, don't do it. Euthanasia's wrong, don't do it. Sex before marriage is wrong, don't do it. No, he says, he speaks to the young people. He acknowledges all the things that are going on in their heart, all the troubles and the worries and the sorrows. And he says, I know that you're frustrated. I know that you long for intimacy. I know that you long to make a difference in this world and that you have these great ideals and you're frustrated because it feels like they just don't take place in the world. But you have the capacity to make a difference. You can completely change things. You can help build a culture of life, a new civilization of love. So you can see his his way of bringing this truth to people. He's still saying at the end of the day, you know, abortion's not good for you. It's not going to make you happy. You can use your freedom, base your freedom on truth, on the truth that comes from God, and exercise your freedom to to live the fullness of life, to experience the joy that you long for. So it's a slightly, I'm not sure if you get a sense of that, but it's a a different approach that we're being called to. So that's just a quick example. We're going to now talk about some of the underlying principles that are really key for John Paul II that help influence his way of being with people. And you can't understand this charism, this way of being, unless you can appreciate that that these were so significant for him and so influential on him. The first point we want to make is the centrality of man in the thought of John Paul II. Carol Vitteau had experienced firsthand the atrocities of the totalitarian regimes of Nazism and communism in his country. And he says, The deportation of my fellow Polish citizens to extermination camps has profoundly marked my existence. From that time, the mystery of human existence has occupied the first place in my reflections, and I feel irresistibly moved to speak in defense of human dignity. Sustained by the mysterious action of Christ, who is our God, who became our brother to save us. On another occasion, he said, I want to confide to you on this subject that the reflection on man and first then a peculiar and direct interest in the concrete man. And I just just to stop his quote for a split second. So he's not just talking about dignity as a, an abstract list of truths about every human person, about humanity that we all share in common. He's talking, when he says about concrete man, he's talking about 
not just about the dignity of the human person in general, but the dignity of each individual person with all their personal subjective interiority. So he says, I want to confide to you on this subject, the reflection on man and with a peculiar and direct interest in the concrete man, each individual man, he says, as a creature with natural and supernatural dignity. Thanks to the convergent and provident action of God, the Creator and the Son of God, our Redeemer, is for me a mental habit that I've always had and that has acquired a clarity after the experience of my youth and the call to priesthood and pastoral life. He says on another occasion too, I had long been interested in man as person. Perhaps my interest was due to the fact that I had never had a particular predilection for the natural sciences. I was always more fascinated by man. The development of my studies centered on man, on the human person, and can ultimately be explained by my pastoral concern. It is precisely from this pastoral point of view that I formulated the concept of the personalistic principle in love and responsibility. So this quote comes from Crossing the Threshold of Hope. So we can see that for John Paul II, his interest in man and his constant reference back to the dignity of man wasn't just about the abstract qualities about humanity. It was about the person in all their um, uniqueness and unrepeatability. And it wasn't just a curiosity to understand this or to know this or to figure it out. It was out of a pastoral concern, a real love for those people, which you experienced when you were with John Paul II. And it's not just the Holy Father that is emphasizing the importance to turn to man. Even in the Vatican II documents, we can see this. In carrying out their mission in the world, Gaudium at Spares, one of the main documents of the Second Vatican Council says, the followers of Christ must turn their attention to man who is the way of the church. This is reiterated in, again, through various church documents that follow after this as well too. Man's the primary route for the church, which the church must travel in fulfilling her mission. So it's important for us to remember that no work of the church will hold value if it neglects man who should be her focus and her concern. Now this is really important, as I'm sure you can appreciate, in a world that's becoming more and more technological. In a world which lures our attention to gadgets and gizmos over people and relationships. We must question, John Paul II says, and also in Gaudium et Spes, we're called to question, does the progress that we aim for help man to become more human, to become better, to become more mature, more aware of the dignity of his humanity, more responsible to others, especially the neediest and the weak? John Paul II provides numerous questions that we need to ask to check whether our development and progress in our daily lives is truly a progress in a moral and a spiritual sense. Is it really for the true good of man? So, for example, if I'm a banking manager in my work, what is the aim of what I'm trying to do? Because it's so easy to become so driven by the profit margin and by the progress of the business objectives and the desires of the shareholders how much time do I devote to the needs and the concerns of my customers? 
is the service I'm providing really in response to their needs and helping them become more human and the world become more human. Or my staff as well too. If I'm having a problem with achieving some goal at work, how attentive am I to what's going on for each of those work members within their own personal lives, within the dynamics of the office? So we're all really being called to to direct our attention to man, to the needs of man and what's going on within him. In refocusing the church's eyes on man, the Holy Spirit is drawing our attention not just to his humanity, to those qualities that each man shares in common, as I said before, but also to his personal interiority. This is highlighting the personal dimension of John Paul II's charism, which is really important. In a way, the church had also become disconnected from the interior life of man before Vatican II. Now it can be argued that she has been called to become more mindful of all that's happening within man. In Gadim et Spes, in the first line, we're being called to look at the sorrows and the joys of each person. We must all remember that each person is unique. Even if this personal subjectivity does not seem apparent, so John Paul II says, in the cases of psychosomatic or purely psychological immaturity, in which either the normal self has not developed or the self has developed in a distorted way, this personal subjectivity still resides within the essentially human supposition. This is taken from his writings in Person and Community, the collection of essays. So this personalistic value of the person isn't determined by our psychological maturity or health, it's innate to the person. And he says in The Acting Person, this personalistic value of the human person, that is the personal value, is a special and probably the most fundamental manifestation of the worth of the person himself. So in our way of being with others and the way we perceive ourselves, Jumbleto's personal method calls us to look ever deeper because the reality of the person can never be reduced to a set of conclusions. We have to ask ourselves when we're with someone, do I see the human being or do I see the human subject in all their reality? Now when we say that the church and all of us are being called to turn our attention to man, we need to make a very clear distinction. We can see that even in the language I'm using, you can kind of see a, a semblance between what I, when I was talking about the modern philosophies, because that's what the modern philosophies were, like the positivist mentality I was talking about of Descartes. It turned its attention to man. But what we're talking about here is very, very different because we turn our attention first to man with a capital M. So we approach God the Father through his Son, the man Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator, the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen sixteen. The Redeemer of man, Jesus Christ, is the center of the universe and of history. This is the opening line of Redemptor Hominus, the first encyclical of our late Holy Father. He went on to say in Redemptor Hominus, Our spirit is set in one direction, the only direction for our intellect, will, and heart, towards Christ, our Redeemer, towards Christ, the Redeemer of man. We wish to look towards him because there is salvation in no one else but him, the Son of God, repeating what Peter said to our Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
So this is taken from Redemptor Hominess at 18. And also from Crossing the Threshold of Hope, the Holy Father distinguishes between the importance of Christ over other figures that are given godlike status. He says, despite common aspects, Christ does not resemble Muhammad or Socrates or Buddha. He is totally original and unique. This uniqueness is expressed by the creed. So it is therefore a revealed truth that there is salvation only and exclusively in Christ, who is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So why, why is this important? Why am I saying this? Because as we go through these series of talks, we're going to look very practically at a, a way of being with someone else in, in, the, in our everyday life, the way we attend to them, the way we listen to them, the way we help them to make decisions. And if we don't have Christ or man with a capital M, we end up falling into the trap of the modern way of thinking that I can find the solution to this person's problems and I can help them to discover their dignity. I can help them to realize that. I can help them to make the decisions that they need to do to realize what their existence is all about when really we need to keep at the forefront of our mind that it, it is Christ who's the source of truth and it's Christ who reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear as we're told in Gaudium et Spes one of John Paul most quoted lines from the Vatican documents. So it's important to keep this at the forefront of our mind. But one could ask, if Christ is the source of truth and if he's the one that's supposed to be guiding all our relationships, how are we supposed to know what he's saying? So for many of us it feels like, I guess it feels like a lot of the time that he's silent and it's hard to know, well, that was that God's voice? Was that my voice? This is one of the things we're going to look at through this series. The Second Vatican Council affirmed that the way that leads to God is through the evidence of created things. This is a quote from Sources of Renewal. Sources of Renewal is a book that Archbishop Carol Votewa wrote after he returned from the Second Vatican Council. He didn't intend it to be a, a commentary on the Vatican documents, but rather to help form the church's way of thinking and acting in Poland to help them to really integrate, to put into practice what the Holy Spirit was saying through the Vatican Council. So this book was written in or published in Polish in 1972, in Italian in 79, and it only came out in English in 1980. And reflecting on the contents of this, this is how the Holy Father helped put into practice the Vatican Council teaching. In Krakow, where he was the archbishop, he set up 500 study groups and over a period of two years they prayed over and studied the material in Sources of Renewal and the Vatican documents before they even came to a place where they started looking at what kind of projects they could put into place. So there's this real sense that the material in this book, it gives a lot of insight into where the church needs to go now in terms of responding to the Vatican Council and that it needs to be done very prayerfully and over time, it's a slow process. So it, it's one of my favourite books, which might seem a bit crazy really. I know people like things like Lord of the Rings and stuff, but I just think it's so exciting because it, it provides in a concrete way ways that we can move forward and in response to these modern times. It's really exciting. So... Anyway, so I, I have to make reference to sources of renewal and that's where it, that's what the book is. So 
just to go back, the Lord speaks to us through the evidence of created things, the Holy Father says. So whether I'm experiencing God through a glorious waterfall or in prayer or through the kindness of another, God is working through a person, whether it's the other person, it's always, or through me, if I'm looking at a waterfall, he's working through me. If I cut myself off from certain people who I find frustrating or challenging, in a way I cut myself off also from God, which we know from the parable in Matthew 25. So part of uh, what we're going to learn how to do in this course is to learn to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is saying through all of these things. So he's definitely speaking to us through all the circumstances of our life, through our emotions, through our bodily experiences, through all of this he's speaking. The question is, do we have the ear to hear him? Now, if we are in the habit of shutting off parts of ourselves, so it might be emotions that we don't like or it might be um, a particular memory or whatever it is, we shut off part of ourselves. It's kind of like hanging up the phone on God when he's trying to speak to us because he speaks through those painful parts of ourselves. Our hearts can become very hardened as we try to protect ourselves. It's like being in a bubble. To We don't want those parts of ourselves. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to open up. And we begin to wonder why God's so silent, why, why he's hiding from us, why we feel so lost and confused. It's An example of this can be when we pray, but we don't pray with our heart. So when we just talk at God or when we see God as a set of principles or a concept or an idea and not as a person who is alive and real and wanting to work in our lives. So what we're talking about here in terms of focusing or turning our attention to man, we're really saying when we do this, we have to be mindful always that we're really, it's a way of contemplation. It's a way of seeing Christ speaking to us through man, through ourselves and through other people and guiding us constantly, revealing his love and his mercy, speaking to us about the problems in our, uh, if our stomach is sick and there's we've got butterflies, what is the Lord saying to us about the anxiety that might be going on and the source of that anxiety? Interestingly, on this point, when defining what faith is, John Paul II says it's not merely the response of the mind to an abstract truth, but it's, this is in Sources of Renewal, it's in the, the acceptance of revelation, objective truth, that's revealed to man through our reason and through faith, and his response to it. So the acceptance of revelation and his response to it. This is what faith is. So yes, it, it requires grace, but it also requires our cooperation with this grace. And we cooperate in the free disposal of ourselves, in the self-abandonment to God, so faith is a conscious attitude and God's gift at the same time. So this conscious abandonment to God in our daily life, in our everyday experiences, is what we call the contemplative dimension of the charism. And we don't have time to go through this at the point, but it is important for us to keep that in mind as we're going through this course, that we contemplate first man with a capital M, the person of Christ who is constantly attentive to us, who wants to speak personally to us about the plan that he has for us and the way that he wants to guide us. We're not just a number, another number to him. He created us. He knows every part of us. He knows what's going to help us to flourish and to thrive, and he wants to communicate that to us to help us along the way. 
But for this to happen, we we really need to learn to listen to him and to become in tune with him, to imitate the example of our Blessed Mother. So let's finish this talk here with a prayer asking our Blessed Mother to teach us her way of being, her way, this contemplative dimension of the charism. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dearest Mother in Heaven, we ask you to show us the way. You who said, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your will, Lord. Teach us also to be docile to the Holy Spirit. In a personal way, in our prayer, in our dealings with other people, in our everyday life circumstances, especially when things get difficult. Help us, Blessed Mother, to discern in the movements of our heart what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, especially during times of suffering. Help us never to suppress any part of our humanity. Help us never to neglect any of the other humans that are part of the mystical body of the Christ, any other parts of the body. Help us to, to be attentive to the importance of how the Holy Spirit is speaking through man in every way. You know the way we should go, Blessed Mother. You know how we can get distracted and caught up in things. We just pray that you teach us to focus on what is important and to really to learn to listen, to have the courage to abandon ourselves to God and to his loving providential work within us. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au.